I'm excited for the series that we're diving into today. Uh, we've been walking through another series, and we wrapped it up, and uh, we were doing boundaries, and now we're walking right into this uh, new series, and we're, we called this series Firewall. Now, this series kind of got born uh, last summer, not this summer, but uh, June 2016. Um, we started uh, kind of framing this and, and dreaming about this, and so, so I've had this kind of on the radar for a really, really long time as being just something that would be incredibly important for us to walk through. And we called the series Firewall, and I got to talk a little bit about what a firewall is because it occurs to me we may not all know what a firewall is. And so I learned what a firewall is uh, when I was coming right out of high school, uh, young adult age. Back when, uh, back when the internet was still pretty new, and when you got online, you heard noises like, welcome, right? And you got online that way. And then somebody answered the phone, and you got disconnected, and you yelled down the hallway, who answered the phone? You just cut me off of the most important thing I was ever going to do, right? And the internet would cut out when someone answered the phone. So that's when I kind of got introduced to the internet. And, uh, and in that time, the internet was kind of like the wild, wild west. There wasn't uh, uh, pro uh, legal ways to do things right and no one kind of knew what the internet was going to do and and there were uh things that popped up like napster where people began just like trading files and information with each other and there was no like organization and everyone kind of went i don't know if this is right but there's no rules so just do whatever and i had a friend and he downloaded a movie now to download a movie at that time was a large commitment because the internet was slow, right? No one, you had to make sure for at least like a four or five hour window that no one answered the phone or it would corrupt the whole thing and you'd be really, really mad at them, right? So you're standing by the phone, like just sleeping, like no one, you're unplugging it, right? And so he downloads a movie and the movie he was trying to download was a movie called Finding Nemo. Some of you are familiar. He didn't get Finding Nemo. It was called Finding Nemo, but when he opened that file, it changed everything on his computer to Fight Club theme. It was the most creative virus, I think, ever, right? There was uh, the, some, the movie Fight Club, it was just all, it was all integrated in there. It was hilarious. And, and we realized at that point as he was like, help me, my computer, everything's like Brad Pitt, and he's all over my computer. I was trying to watch Finding Nemo. All of that to say, we had to learn what a firewall was at that time. We had to learn how to protect ourselves from a virus. You see, a firewall is a program that's designed to protect a network by preventing unauthorized users from gaining access. A firewall is a system, a program that is supposed to protect unauthorized users from getting access. And so this morning, we're going to walk into the series and we're going to talk about guarding and protecting our hearts and how to have a firewall in place that guards your heart from unauthorized things gaining access to your heart. Now, there's lots of different things that we're going to talk about. So to introduce what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to use some creative help. I already uh, talked about Finding Nemo, but we're going to see some clips from a video, a movie that uh, is an animated movie that's all about our emotions. And all the little characters that you see are going to represent different emotions. And let's see if you can figure out what emotion we're going to talk about today. <laughs> oh, it's a great picture of what it looks like when anger has the leading position in our heart and how our emotions kind of interact with us there. So we're talking about <clears throat> guarding our heart uh, this morning. Now, what's powerful about this, you know, the scripture tells us to guard our heart. It says this, it says, guard your heart 
above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I want you to think about that for a second. The Bible tells us that the most important thing that we can guard is right in here, our heart. Because that determines the direction and the course of our life. Where your heart allows determines where your life goes. What your heart gives credit and room to determines the direction of your life. Now, Jesus talked about this in a different way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, he said this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He said, listen, the state of your heart is directly in proportion to the proximity of your life to God. When your heart is pure and you have guarded, guarded? And you have guarded your heart? Help me, grammar guys. I went to Bible college. Come on, somebody. Not U of O. We're not there. Not UW. Someone from WSU. Is that good grammar? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> Everyone's looking at me like, ooh, fighting words. When you've guarded your heart, you've given permission and access to the presence of God. So Jesus is clear that that is connected and an important piece of that. So why is anger so important? Because anger is the thing that tries to take root and take hold of your heart. Anger has direct effect on your heart, both in a spiritual term and even in a physical capacity. I was reading an article uh, by Everyday Health, an Everyday Health article, and it's seven ways that anger is ruining your health. Do you know anger ruins your health? This is, uh, this is not a, a faith-based article. It's just from Everyday Health. And it says this, seven ways that anger's uh, ruining your health. Number one, an angry outburst puts your heart at great risk. Most physically damaging is anger's effect on your cardiac health. In the two hours after an angry outburst, your risk of heart attack doubles. Those of you that are prone to venting out anger in a way that's unhealthy, the next two hours, man... Keep some bear close by, calm down. I'm just telling you. Anger up. Secondly, your risk of stroke. Your risk of stroke. For people with an aneurysm in, in the brain and arteries, there's a six times higher risk of rupturing this aneurysm following an angry outburst. Anger weakens your immune system. When you're mad all the time, people who are mad all the time find themselves feeling sick more often. A Harvard University uh, uh, study found that in healthy people, simply recalling an angry experience from their past caused a six-hour dip in levels of their antibodies. Why can't anger have access to your heart? Anger is also linked to depression. There's so many studies that have linked depression with aggression and angry outbursts. This is especially true in men who tend to, when they're angry, withdraw and internalize that anger that way. This was impressive to me. I didn't know this was true. Anger can be bad for your lungs. It can affect your lung capacity. Even if you're not a smoker, you can be perpetual. If you're perpetually angry, it says that you, uh, you are actually hurting your lungs. Another, and another group of Harvard University scientists, they studied 670 men over an eight-year uh, uh, 
Time span, thank you. <laughs> and the men with the highest hostility ratings had significantly worse lung capacity, which increased their risk of respiratory problems. They theorized that an uptick in those stress hormones, which are associated with angry, created inflammation in their airways. Who would have thought? Ultimately, anger can shorten your lifespan. It's linked to stress. And uh, they found over a 17-year-old uh, period that couples who held in their anger had shorter life spans, who didn't process their anger in a way that was healthy. So I'm just giving you some science before we get into the, uh, into the word of God and letting you know that your heart and anger are not good cohabitors. They don't work well together. But here's the problem I have, is everyone in here gets angry. As a matter of fact, as I look into the scripture, God gets angry. Jesus got angry. Paul writes, says he's angry. So anger is not going away. So there has to be a tension between the fact that I face anger on the regular and anger cannot have room in my heart to hold on. Not only will it literally kill me, it will limit my access to God. So I have this tension in me. How do I manage this tension? Now, I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't gonna share this story. As I was thinking about not sharing this story and driving to church this morning, I had a new story to share. <laughs> so I'm just gonna be real with you, okay? I'm driving. Let me just set the stage. I haven't had my coffee yet. I'm thinking about sharing a story of something that happened this week. My mom was in town visiting and she was riding in the back seat uh, next to my kids, but she was talking to my wife. She wasn't talking to me. And she was talking about me, though. So I'm listening. And she said something that I didn't like because it was true. <laughs> she said, you know what's interesting about Michael? She calls me Michael. She said, his whole life, he gives himself away. He serves. He helps other people. He cares about people. He's one of the most compassionate people I know until we get in the car. And it's like the door closes and he leaves that mic outside. Then we get where we're going and he puts that. And I was like, how dare you read my mail that accurately? Only a mama could say that out loud with me in the room that way, right? And so I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about sharing that story. And as I was thinking about sharing that story, someone cut me off on the way to the church. And I couldn't finish the thought because I was so angry at this person that cut me off and then made me miss the light. I wasn't even late, but I missed the light. I'm not in first place anymore. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I realized we all cohabitate and live with anger and process it in different ways. So how are we supposed to manage this anger thing? And we've all seen anger come out in ways that isn't pretty. Come on. Some of us have unleashed anger in some ways that certainly was not pretty. And when I start talking about anger, for some of you, you, you're just getting angry right now hearing me talk about it because you don't want me to poke at that thing that it, it, for whatever reason has real estate right here in your core and in your heart. And for some of you, as I start talking about anger, you start feeling some different emotions because you've been around someone who has unleashed anger in an unhealthy way and you've been the collateral damage of somebody not managing anger in a way that works. And when I tell you that more than 350 times in the scripture, it says God gets angry, you start wondering if you wanna be friends with that kind of God. 
because you have a perspective on anger that's unhealthy. And I'm here to tell you today, you need your anger. You were designed to experience anger. Anger is a part of the design. You're created in the image of God and God gets angry. But just like everything else, when something that you have that has the potential to be good is used improperly, there are consequences. And can I just be honest a little bit more? Just as the human race, we're very bad at using things in their intended manner. We tend to use things in their non-intended manner all the time and create all kinds of hazardous things because of it. I know this is true. I grabbed this just out of the hallway, bathroom or whatever. It's an odor cleaner. There are directions of how to use this. This is not complicated to use. But there are directions of how to use this. More importantly, there are don't use this this way directions. They say things like, do not spray towards your face. <laughs> this says, don't spray it in your face. Don't go, hey, this is awesome, and spray it in your face. Why? Because somewhere along the line, someone wasn't able to use it for its intended purpose. Keep out of the reach of children. It says, inhaling the contents can be harmful or fatal. It says, don't freeze it or incinerate the container. You get my point. Sometimes, even though something has a good purpose or a good use, if we use it outside of its intended purpose, destruction, death, mayhem, chaos, trouble. And because that is the case with so many practical things, how important is it that with great, big, huge, important things like our heart, we know what the heck we're doing? So when it comes to anger, I'm going to give you a few things that are kind of like on the warning label sides of anger. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how to use it properly, and we're going to be done. Cool? So I'm going to jump through a couple of different places uh, uh, of Scripture, and then I'm going to land in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're a Bible person and you want to follow along, you can get ahead of me over there. But I'm going to start with just talking about the danger of anger. These are the hazardous uses of anger. Uh, and let me give you a couple of Scriptures. Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Someone whose anger gets out of them quickly is always going to find themselves in conflict. And God is highly concerned about relationships. And so anything that causes rift and damage in relationships and us connecting to one another or connecting to God is something he wants us to use wisely. And Solomon's writing here and he's like, listen, no one likes hanging out with someone who's quick to get angry, who's got a hot temper. Because there's always going to be conflict. And you know people like this. You go to the mall or the store or the movies with them. And the whole time you're just like, oh, please don't let anyone do anything that gets this person angry. Because the rest of, then you're constantly, come on, you're constantly evaluating. Okay, if this goes sour, can we win this fight? <laughs> do we, is this going to work out well? Is this going to go okay? Because that's who they are. And eventually you find yourself removing, hopefully, yourself from relationship with those people. If you're one of those people and you're lonely, guess why? Because a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. And people don't want to gravitate towards that. They move away 
from that. And the one who is patient calms a quarrel. He says one of the keys to solving this danger of anger is bringing patience into the equation. Proverbs 14, 29 goes a little bit deeper with this. It says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered displays his folly. Some versions say is a fool. What is he saying? He's saying, when you wait and get the facts before you get angry, when you process, when you let it go through, come on, the meat grinder and decide what kind of hamburger it's gonna be, before you just unleash and get angry, you're gonna have greater understanding. But if you let that temper loose too quickly, time is always a factor in terms of anger. There's a sweet spot and we're gonna talk about that. If you let your anger loose too quickly, come on, you've been there. Someone said something, did something, wrote something. You got halfway through what they were saying and you're already, temperature's up. You have, you're not even listening to the rest of what they have to say because you have already prepared the defense that you have or the, ang- the anger has already swelled up and you're just like, mm, and as soon as they stop, you're chewing into them and then you realize, oh, that's not even the thing. Folly. You know somebody like that. You know somebody who's in a relationship that has rifted right now and you've talked to both people in the relationship and thought, if the two of you could just talk without getting angry so fast, you probably could restore the relationship. But you can't because the moment they start talking, your anger starts coming out and you can't get understanding. You can't hear them because anger, speed's always a factor. I love in Ecclesiastes it says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. I love this language. For anger lodges in the bosom of fools. It lives in the heart of fools. It stays there. So don't be quick to give it access because once, come on, the temperature goes, ding, and anger surfaces, it wants to live in your heart. It desires a place there. It tries to corrupt that thing. I love the message version. It's a a paraphrase of this verse, says it this way, which is hilarious. Don't be quick to fly off the handle because anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. (laughs) It's pretty good. Very true. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head because slinging anger out there unwisely, not in time, not knowing the facts, not appropriately giving vent to anger in a way that's unhealthy, that's destructive to others, swings back around and hits you. And you can see somebody who's done that by the lumps on their head, by the relationships that have been destroyed. You see, anger has a habit of coming back to bite us. Why? Why care so much about anger? What's the end result of anger? How, what, if anger is given full vent to just do whatever it wants, what's the worst that can happen? Why is this such a big deal, Pastor Mike? Why is this such a big deal, Jesus? Why is this such a big deal, Scripture? Why? Well, let me give you uh, one of the commandments, and then we're going to connect it to anger. It says this, you shall not murder. Uh, excuse me? I thought we were talking about angry. Listen. If you don't pay attention to anything else but this moment, just take a deep breath, read the screen, write that on your heart. (laughs) Don't murder anybody. That is an incredible starting point. If you get nothing else, it's on the podcast. Pastor Mike's on record. Do not commit murder, right? That's never the goal. Why are you talking about that, Pastor Mike? Murder is like final. It's death. It's the Ten Commandments, Old Testament. Well, Jesus did this incredible thing with anger and murder. He connected them. 
Look at what he does in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Deuteronomy 5, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone, listen to this language, who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wait, what? Jesus takes this emotional state of anger and he says, when that thing gives full vent to itself and points itself at somebody else, the actual casualty of that is the same kind of casualty that happens in a murder. Now, when he uses the terminology raka and you fool, you gotta understand the culture a little bit here. That was their way of saying, this is it. I want nothing to do with you. You're out, right? It was that kind of thing. And he's saying the emotion, the spirit that's behind going to somebody, another human who's designed in the image of Christ, who God loves, the spirit that's behind going to somebody like that and saying, I am done with you. That thing is the same spirit that's behind the spirit of murder. It's ending them. Now, listen, we talked about boundaries last week and we understand boundaries are important. Go listen to the podcast if you wanna talk about how to do that in a healthy way in terms of boundaries. I'm just telling you that Jesus is clear. When you get to the point of, you fool, I want nothing to do with you. When anger has fully vented to that place, a murder has occurred. On a spiritual level, a murder has occurred. He's connected those two things. So that's the warning can. That's the use correctly or else. You will damage somebody else. You will damage yourself. Murder might occur. Your heart may not have access to God. It'll create distance and space. So why did God create anger? Well, here's the thing about anger. Anger is a fuel. Anger is important. I need anger. See, here's the thing. When I was younger, I was an angry kid. I just, based on my life experience, I was just angry. I thought the world was unfair to me. I got a short stick and uh, I was gonna even out the odds. So I fought and I did all the things that you do when you're just an angry kid. I rebelled and did all those things. I met Jesus. And I recognized that the only anger I had experienced was either terror from people in abusive situations towards me or my desire to dominate and abuse somebody else. I didn't have a picture of any kind of healthy anger at all. So I assumed that all anger was the worst. And then I read that God's angry and I'm like, "Ah, I just must not be understanding it. (laughs) it it must not mean the same thing that I mean because if I was God and I was experiencing anger it would just be like a bug underneath a thumb and I would and it would be to solve the problems right so I must not understand it and I knew that God was angry but I just had a disconnect between what anger really meant and what anger was for and then as I matured I understood hey I need my anger so what would happen in me is I would start trying to kill anytime anger would swell up in me I would immediately feel guilt because I hadn't experienced authentic, healthy anger. All I knew is that anger was destructive and negative and derailed my life. So I would immediately try to move away from that thing. And it created a passivity in me. And it created a tolerating of things I maybe shouldn't have tolerated because I was trying to be more gentle and more kind and not be so angry. And I would have this tension of my behavior would be what I thought was right, but my insides would be on fire. And I was living in this weird tension, not trying, because I couldn't understand how anger was supposed to work. Because anger is a fuel. Anger is a motivator. It helps us. Without anger, I don't have a fight or a flight response. 
Without anger, I don't, have a, I don't have the ability to rise up. What anger should do is it should cause us to see something that's unjust, that's not right, that's not fair, that isn't healthy, that isn't bringing life, and it should motivate us to respond. Some of the greatest achievements in human history, some of the greatest kindnesses in human history were motivated by somebody seeing something that was unjust and anger coming out of them and saying, this is not what should be. This does not align with the heart of God. This does not align with the identity of his people. This is not okay. And anger motivates those things. See, I need my anger. It gets me out of bed. It gets me to, to, to hear that 102 meals are necessary and go, why is there 102 meals necessary? We'll take care of 102 meals. We can't have people going hungry at Zyger. That's right there. Anger drives that. Compassion's in there, but anger drives that. And I, I want that for them. I want life. And I mean, food for kids. Are you kidding me? Sorry, I'm getting all fired up. Anger's a fuel. That's where I was going with that. Anger's a fuel and it helps us. I need righteous indignation. It gives me power. It gives me drive. It is not sin. Without it, I won't challenge. I won't speak up. I won't step up. I need it for all of those things. So Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus and talking about relational important dynamics and things brings this conversation about anger to the forefront in Ephesians chapter four. And we're gonna walk through just a few verses here and then, then we'll get practical and we'll go. But Ephesians chapter four, he starts this conversation with them and he says, therefore you must put off falsehood and, and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we're all members of one body. He starts with just by saying, we're all connected. We're all connected. You're all designed by God in the image of God. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you're part of the body. And we're all connected in that. And you know what breaks relationship right off the bat when you're dishonest? You know what sparks anger when I find out you've been lying to me? And so he says, we can't, we got to start with just a, an idea of just absolute integrity in this situation. And then he goes right to the, the heart of it. And he goes, and in your anger, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down while you're angry. What is he talking about? He's saying there's a model of anger that, now I love this. You break down the word and some of it says, be angry and sin not, some versions. Maybe you heard it that way when you're growing up. Be angry and sin not. And you're wondering, is the Bible telling me I have to be angry? Or is it telling me in case I get angry? What is it telling me? And the, the verb there literally says, you're going to get angry. Paul is aware. He gets angry. He knows that Jesus got angry. He's a scholar of the Old Testament. He can tell you how many times God was angry. He understands that part of the human condition is that you are gonna be angry. He's good with that. That's not a sin, but he says in your anger, how that manifests itself, what it actually does in the life of yourself and of others, that is gonna determine whether or not that is healthy, appropriate use of that product. And we're gonna talk a little bit about how to break that down. But he's saying, he's saying this, is, this is normal. You know, I love the picture we have of Jesus getting angry. We always talk about the picture of him walking in and seeing the money tables at the temple and seeing the abuse and the financial gain that wasn't, uh, wasn't driven by the heart of God or to serve people, but was driven out of greed. And it, it just absolutely broke his heart. And he was so furious that he turned over the table and he made a whip and he's cracking the whip. And, you know, it's, it's just like we love that picture of Jesus getting angry because it's so righteous. But there's another time when Jesus gets angry in Mark chapter three. And he gets angry at a group of religious people who... The, the, the short version of a long story, there's someone who's crippled who needs help and he goes and he helps them. And then they get frustrated because they're saying, yeah, we recognize that human had a need, but you didn't do it by the rules that we set up. 
And you didn't do it the way that we want you to do it. It's the Sabbath. You can't heal somebody on a Sunday. And it says he got so angry at their heart because they took the word of God that was intended for people to bring life to them and manipulated it to give them permission to bring death to people. And it made him furious. He says he was angry at them. So Jesus got angry multiple occasions, not just turning over the table. Different different completely experiences and, and, and we recognize that and we recognize there's a way to be angry that motivates us that doesn't cause us to sin. We'll get a little bit closer to that. And then it says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This scripture used to haunt me because I didn't know how to do this. Because let me just be like really practical with you. What are we supposed to do if we're working different schedules? right? What if I don't see you before the sun goes down? Am I in sin? Like, am I compelled to drive to wherever you are and solve it? Like, how does this work in real life? And, and I know couples are like, we never go, you know, we just stay awake all night. I'm like, but the sun still went down. So you have to like drive with the horizon and stay ahead of it. You need a plane or like how we're not done working this out and the sun went down. Let me give you the heart. Paul's saying, don't let it Stay there and fester. Don't wait. When you have conflict and anger and something you need to process relationally, it's time sensitive. Don't fly off the handle until you have the information, but these are time sensitive issues. You need to move as quickly as possible to go to the person and the place where the anger is manifested and deal with that, not just for their benefit, but for yours. And here's why. Look at the next verse don't give the devil a foothold because the longer you hold that anger in a place where you haven't begun the process of working it out and working in it and through it, the more opportunity the enemy has to now gain some traction in your life. And he wants that real estate. And that real estate is now up for grabs because you haven't dealt with that issue of anger. It's time sensitive. Paul is saying, listen, Start off by being honest and authentic in your relationships. Deal with your anger. Deal with your anger. Because if you don't, it gives the devil foothold. Here's how I know this is true. I was trying to think about it. What is the maximum amount of time I can be angry before it starts coming out in unhealthy ways in me? It's not very long. If I'm angry and I don't go to the person, and I don't deal with it, and I don't process it, pretty soon it starts getting into my heart. And the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The language that I use starts shifting. My attitude starts shifting. My emotions start shifting. Things that I would normally do, ways that I would be kind, I start re re uh, re withdrawing my kindness. I start just like passively. It starts passively, and then it starts building momentum up in me because I'm angry, and it's moving, and it's moving, and it gets more and more contaminated. A root of bitterness has an opportunity to get, because why? I have now connected my life to access for, for, for what the enemy wants to do. It's just steal, kill, and destroy. That's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. He says, don't let time go by. Don't let too much time. This is a time-sensitive thing. If it has opportunity to fester in your life, it will get worse, not better. You need to deal with it. Does that mean immediately today? If you can. If practically you can't, okay. Let's schedule the appointment. Charlie, we gotta sit down. I'll see you Tuesday.
right? <laughs> and I'm going to ramp up to there. That's what he's talking about. Because I know that I can't stay angry very long without ending up in sin. James says it this way. He says, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, the James, the brother of Jesus. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. He says, you can't just stay in an angry position. It won't work. So you should be slow to get there and then quick to get out. Take your time. Don't get angry right off the bat. And once you get angry, deal with it in a way that works. The enemy wants a foothold. Now, I'm going to be careful here. We want to talk a little bit about some practically how this works itself out, because I know I've led you guys a little way here, but I just want to be honest with you. It, the hardest part of this is going to be the, the emotional piece, okay? We deal with this emotional because anger strikes on emotions and we get emotional and it's like, I want to get over this, but I can't. I've got bitterness and emotions and I've got all these things. And, and, and Paul's answer to this is going to be practical. So we're going to walk through this a little bit more. Verse 28, he says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Um, you know, the reality in that relational circle, he's like, that. The, you start withdrawing, you start taking from people, you start using and abusing. All of these things are a product of broken relationships. I was even wondering, I'm like, I wonder if Paul was thinking about some very specific people who were kind of using and abusing the resource without contributing. And I was like, man, it's just the same story. Generation after generation, we get frustrated. People take advantage. Uh, verse 29, then he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. It's back to overflow. He's like, that thing has taken root in you and now what's coming out of you isn't healthy. So don't let any of that stuff come out of you. So what's the recipe? He goes, okay, the recipe to solve this, verse 31, is get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander accord, uh, along with every form of malice. Well, thanks, Paul. That's easy. Right? Oh, I don't, I don't want, I'm angry too often. The answer is just get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all slander. Get rid of all that stuff. You don't understand. I still feel that way. How do I get rid of bitterness? What is the solution to getting rid of that? Verse 32, he goes, it's your behavior. So make a decision. Be kind. Someone's been treating you poorly. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Here's the big F-bomb we don't like talking about. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He says, listen, you want to start forming new systems, new habits? You want to start breaking the territory that the enemy's had in your heart that anger's been holding on to? It's not going to happen because you made an emotional decision. It's going to happen by the power of Jesus and you making new decisions to, to walk in victory that you may not even feel by just choosing to become compassionate, choosing to forgive. Some of us, we, we talked about forgiveness a few weeks ago, but just having faith to forgive. I can't forgive on my own, God, increase my faith. Give me faith to forgive. It's actions and choices, not feelings. So let's get practical, super practical. He says, be angry and don't sin. Let's give some examples and see if you can see the distinction here. You gotta ask some questions. First, as we go through the examples, ask these questions. Why is it making you angry? Or what is making you angry? There it is. <laughs> Whatever it is. Something's making you angry. What is it? Why is it making you angry? What's the thing? Ask that question. And then ask this question. What is that anger driving you towards? 
What is the response that's coming out of you because of that anger? Because it's going to tell you if you're using proper use of anger or improper use of anger. What's making me angry? Another way to frame this that might be easier to remember is just ask the question, would the thing you're angry about, would that make Jesus angry? Is the thing you're angry about, would that make Jesus, would Jesus agree with you on being angry about this issue? (laughs) And then ask this question, how would he respond? How would he respond? Let me give you some super practical things and, and then uh, and we're gonna close here pretty soon. Example one, someone cuts you off in traffic. That's a fun one, right? What are you actually angry about as you start swelling? Chest swells. Yeah, I'm not in first place. You violated my space. I want that and you got it. You made my life more difficult, Right? I'm entitled. You're inconveniencing me. So what change does it drive in you? I'll get over, punch it, and cut you off. Can you see asking the questions of what's driving this thing and what response is coming out of me helps me to kind of gauge whether this is the proper healthy use of anger or not? How about this one? This one's a little bit tougher. Someone has mistreated you. They've taken advantage of you. You said you would help and they've overextended what they, what they said they would do and now they're draining you in a way that doesn't feel good or healthy. They're taking advantage of you. What's driving that? It's now become an attack on your identity. Hey, you violated my, my life, my space, my identity. I tried to serve you and you took advantage of that. I'm now empowering an a improper picture of your identity. I'm resourcing you to not take responsibility for your life. That, see the tension that's in there? You start processing that. What, would, what is it driving you towards? What's driving me to create a boundary and confront? Why? So that I can experience God's best for my life and you can carry your own load experiencing that. See, we talked about this last week. But anger gets in there and helps you drive that. So you start processing. They get a little stickier. Some of them get a little more obvious. You see someone being mistreated. You see, you see people representing like they're Jesus followers, but they doesn't look like Jesus, and they're using it to abuse or mistreat somebody. And you go, you know what? That's not true, and that's not right. And now I'm angry and I'm, I'm frustrated because they've defamed the heart of God and the name of God. And I am an ambassador of God and I don't want to see that happen. And it drives me to change. And I begin to lend my strength and my voice and my resources and say, that's not just and that's not true and that's not God. Do you see how the difference and the nuances of anger? Remember, when we're guarding our heart, we have the opportunity to be close to Jesus. And when we're close to Jesus, we'll recognize his heart. And anger will start to be a resource to help motivate us to stay aligned with his heart instead of to drive us away from his heart. So that's what anger does. That's how it's supposed to work. I mean, I keep sharing this, but it's anger that drove this need to feed some families. It's anger that it's anger. It's like, I want God's best for them, and that's not it. Anger can be healthy. It can be good. I'm going to just be really candid there's anger in me. I look out the window and I see people walking by and I'm like, man, I don't know if they're going to heaven. And I want that for them. Yeah, it's compassion, but it's anger. It's, it's healthy. It's motivating. It's what gets me to get out of my comfort zone and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our neighborhood, in our community, where we're going, everywhere we're at. It motivates that change. That's anger. Anger's not bad. We need it. We need to use it right. 
I'm going to bring uh, the team up here, and we're going to close today with, uh, with communion. And the reason we're going to close with communion today is I, I was thinking about this uh, incredibly just true tension of Jesus headed towards the cross, but sitting down and eating with people who are about, you know, one of them's about to betray him. They're about to all leave him. And he's aware that he's going to go face some really horrific things. And he wasn't angry about that. The anger that drove him to the cross was the anger at thinking that someday you might not know how much he loves you. The anger at somehow you might miss opportunity to be in relationship with him. And he was going to solve that problem. And that drove the events of that night. And so Paul says that whenever we get together and we take communion, the first thing we should do is examine our hearts. And we should figure out that thing when we talked about clean hands and pure heart, if there's anything going on that has access and, in, and infiltrated in our heart that we need to deal with, why? Because communion's about remembering the importance of the relationship with Jesus and what it does for us, the life that it brings for us so that we can release that life into other people. And Paul says, if you don't do that, it's gonna actually do more damage than good. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna stand, you can stand with me. And we're gonna, we're gonna worship a little bit and the ushers are gonna pass out and you're just gonna take a cup and a juice and hold on to that. And for the next just couple of minutes, I wanna invite you to just do the heart examination piece and just say, listen, I understand that, that anger can be tough and sometimes I've managed it or mismanaged it. And God, is there any place where anger has taken root, where bitterness has got a hold? And I just wanna be honest and transparent with you about that. Not because I'm trying to destroy the anger in me. I need my anger, but I need it to be healthy and I need it to be pointed towards life. So will you take that? We're gonna worship. Would you take a moment and examine your hearts and then we'll take communion together. So I know, I know I pushed potentially on some tender places today. So I wanna be authentic in this moment also and respond and pray for, for some of you in the room. But I know there are some in the room today that anger has been a real thing in your life and it has had root and had territory and space for, for a long time. And uh, there's no way in you know 40 minutes of time that I can address all those particular individual ways that anger has manifested itself, but you know. And you know that it's had room and it's driven some behaviors and it's rendered some relationships and it's created some patterns and some systems in your life that have been destructive. And when Jesus says, uh, you know, the pure in heart get to see God, you felt like you're far from God for a long time. And it's probably connected to this root of anger that has been living in your heart. And I just want to tell you today that God came so that you could be free, so that you could be made new. Paul says that when we're in Christ, that we're new creations, the old is gone, the new has come. We're in the reconciliation business that God wants to redeem. He wants to make you new. He wants to bring freedom. It can happen just like that. It is available for you. And I'm gonna believe that the power of the Holy Spirit would do that in your heart and in your life this morning because you may not even know how good it is on the other side. You've lived so long letting that have place in your life. And I just want that freedom for you. We want that freedom for you. So we're going to pray. We're going to take communion and we're just going to believe God does what he can do. Jesus 
thank you so much that this whole story of the gospel is a rescue mission. It's a story of how much you loved us even while we were still caught in the mess. You waded into the mess to bring life and freedom for us. And it wasn't about behavior modification. It was about restoring life into dead places. And there's been so much death around some of us because of anger, because we haven't guarded our heart, because we've unleashed it and unloaded it in ways that were unhealthy. And we embraced lies and allowed the enemy to have a foothold in our heart. And I just pray in the name of Jesus today in this moment, we just surrender that to you. We don't have to be who we've always been because of what you've done. We take communion recognizing the authority you took over the death, over the sin, over all of the stuff that would try to get control in our lives. You brought freedom and conquered death. And because of that, we can celebrate and be made new. So we repent. Repent isn't, I'm sorry, repent is I form new, a new path. We're going to change behavior. Help us, God, stir up in us the warning signs when we start seeing the foolishness of that try to take root in our lives. And God, I pray for those that have had a false condemnation about anger and have, like even myself, tried to squish it down into a way of not health. Would you empower us? Give us strength and wisdom and help us to use anger to, to rise up and become who you've called us to be, your ambassadors, releasing life and freedom in ourselves and in others because that's what you left us here on earth to do. That's our job. And we need our anger for that. We need righteous anger for that. And God, ultimately, we just want to be close to your heart and in your presence. That's what we came here for. We just say thanks for showing up and for loving us. And we recognize who you are and what you've done in our lives. And we say thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.